We're the Seagrists, and from our home to yours, Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas from the Hughes family! We love you, Liberty family! Mwah. Merry Christmas from the Katowski! And the cat. <laughs> Merry Christmas from the Whitmer family. Merry Christmas, Boiler Up! Hey, Liberty family. The Wagers want to wish you a very Merry Christmas. And a very Happy New Year. We're the Smiths. And we wish you a very Merry Christmas. Hi, we are Jan and Brian Kay, and we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and may Christ dwell brightly in your hearts this season. Merry, Merry Christmas! Christmas. Merry Christmas from the Key family, from our farm to yours. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Hey, Liberty family. Thompson family here. We're in Fort Sill, Oklahoma with one of America's newest soldiers. We just want to wish everybody a happy and blessed holiday season. From our family to yours, Merry Christmas. From the Canyard, the Plusters, and the Westons. Merry Christmas! Hello, everyone. Welcome to our Christmas service. We're so glad that you're here with us, and we believe Jesus is light who's coming to our darkness. And so, joy, uh, sing the songs if you know them, or sit back and relax. We're just so glad that you're here. And we want to wish you from our family a very Merry Christmas! Good morning, church. Merry Christmas Eve. Uh, would you stand with us? We're going to sing some Christmas songs together, starting with Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Let's sing together. Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, born to set thy peace.
together. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Oh, come thou, day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thy Disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadows put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to the herald angels sing.
a seat. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good to see you this morning. It's so exciting to get to worship and to celebrate Jesus' birth with you. Ushers, as you come forward, um, we get to celebrate in song. We get to celebrate through the giving of our gifts um, to the ministry um, and to the Lord. So uh, celebrate with us in that way. Today, we'd like to invite you to come back, 3.30 and 5 p.m. to the Christmas Eve service. There are some wonderful carols um, and, and some prayer time together. If you're like me, you can't get enough of enjoying the worship of Christmas and the songs of Christmas, so come back and, and worship with us. We're, we're so excited to have you. Take some time, if you could, to, to fill out your connection card. It's in your handout or online. And thank you for worshiping with us today. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Um, I'm Chris Spanberg. My wife is with me, Mike Lane Spanberg. And... From left to right, we have Isaiah, Micah, Abel, and Eden. Advent season, the season that we're currently in, means arrival. God's arrival means many things. It means his presence is with us. It means that since he came once, he will come again. It means something new is breaking into our world, and we get to see a little glimpse of it now. God's arrival means the light of heaven is shining in the darkness. It is why we light a candle each week during Advent. Heaven is breaking into earth, and Jesus is inviting you to see it. Our teaching text for this morning is Isaiah 65, 17 through 25, and Revelations 21, verses 1 through 4. Hear now the word of the Lord. For behold, I create new heavens and new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in which that I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be gladness. I'll rejoice 
in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be and my chosen long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Then I saw a new her er heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, or cry, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, if you have a Bible, turn to Isaiah 65. I'm going to pray for us and then uh, talk about what we just heard. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we live in the time in between that Jesus has come and we are waiting for him to return. And so now we open your word that we might, might wait well in faith and hope. Uh, so help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is hard to wait. Waiting can be a frustrating and painful experience. And if we have to wait long enough, we can lose our hope as we wait. If you have waited to purchase your Christmas gifts until today, you have lost hope. That's why I had all of my wife's Christmas gifts purchased before December 1st. Not because I am organized or diligent, but because Misty knew exactly what she wanted, told me exactly what she wanted, and was there with me while I purchased <laughs> exactly what she wanted. Which is very different from my childhood. I grew up in a family where no one opened anything until December 25th. No gifts. Don't ask. 
until December 25th. Even if Jesus would have announced to the world, I'm coming back December 24th, and I pleaded with my parents to just let me open my gifts before Jesus returned, I believe their response to me would have been, it looks like Jesus just ruined Christmas for you. Because nobody's opening gifts until December 25th. So I, I brought that assumption to Misty, even though she was with me when I purchased her gifts, that she should have to wait until December 25th. And she disagreed. And I will let you decide who you think won that disagreement. <clears throat> it's, it's hard to wait. And kids, you, you know that. The gifts are wrapped. Maybe you've seen them under the tree. You're ready. And now you have to listen to me for the next 30 minutes. And I just want you to know I am so sorry. <laughs> the heart of this morning's sermon and the next few minutes will be, will be about waiting. Waiting for God. That's what Advent is. Arrival. But we have to wait for the arrival. And so can you wait? Can you wait for God? Can you wait for His arrival to make all things new? And as you wait, can you trust God in this time between uh, the first and the second arrival of our Lord Jesus? And so to help you, help you wait on God, this morning and this afternoon's services are, are built around heaven. That if what we are waiting for is good enough, we can wait a long Time And my belief is the vision of heaven we're given in Isaiah 65 and Re- Revelation 21 are, are powerful tools to aid us as we wait for the return of Jesus. And so my hope is as we unpack this text, it will awaken hope in you. Or if, if hope has died in you and you've stopped waiting on God, Isaiah 65 might bring it back to life. And so what makes heaven worth waiting for? Well, uh, I'm going to name three things uh, this morning, and I'm going to start with the fact that heaven is where the former things are not remembered. We all have things we would like not to remember. And Isaiah 65 names those things and goes through those things, the things we hope one day we will not remember. And it starts, it starts with death. In heaven, death will not be remembered. A few months ago, we did something in service that we rarely do. We sang happy birthday to someone in service. And I'm looking around, and there she is, Betty Strelnick. We sung happy birthday to Betty Strelnick on her 90th birthday. 90 years? Yeah, come on. What an accomplishment. I mean, just to live to 90 years old, that's an accomplishment. But to do so with the joy and the faithfulness and the prayerfulness that Betty uh, lives with, it was an honor. So we honored her as we should. But in heaven, things will be a bit different. So verse 20, Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man or a person who does not live out his years. In fact, the one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. Now, I recognize you might hear that and think, wait, do people die in heaven? I'll come back to that. But for now, notice the point of that, those two lines are that to be 100 years old in heaven is to be a mere child. So if you were to, to die at 100, it would be a shock, untimely. 
because you're a mirrored child. So when Betty celebrates her 90th birthday in heaven, people will not sing happy birthday to her because it won't be that much of an accomplishment. Everyone will be, be 90, and she'll just be getting started. All I think she's just getting started now. Um, and so that's just not true of, of this life. And I have doubt, no doubt that for all of us in this room, death in some way has left its mark on us. And there's a day when that will not be true anymore. In the new heavens and new earth, never again, death will not be remembered. The second thing, or one of the other things the text goes into, is, is children born to tragedy will not be remembered. It's a theme mentioned twice. Actually, Isaiah meditates on it and then comes back to it. It's in verse 20. I read that a second ago. And comes back in verse 23. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. It's one thing to suffer the untimely death of an adult. But a child. Some of us, we carry those stories in our lives. In the new heavens and new earth, never again. Children born to destruction or, or to tragedy will be no more. A third, um, our sins. Our sins will not be remembered. In verse 7 of Isaiah 65, the phrase former things shows up again. So if you, if you remember verse 17, kind of the, the, this whole point is built on uh, the former things will not be remembered. Well, just ten verses before that, the former things are described, what they are, and they are sins. So our sins will no longer be things that, that make their way into our presence in the new heavens and new earth. And Isaiah 65 unpacks this in kind of a unique way, that throughout the Old Testament, one of the, the consequences of sin is that you build houses and then you, you are removed from them, or you plant a vine and you never get to eat from its grapes because of your, your sin. And so that, you read that all through the Old Testament. Isaiah's already hit on this theme in Isaiah chapter 17, verse 11, and we read this in that verse. For you have forgotten the God of your salvation. This is God speaking to his people, judgment on them. Have not remembered the rock of your refuge. Therefore, though you plant pleasant plants and sow the vine branch of a stranger, though you make them grow on the day that you plant them and make them blossom in the morning that you sow, yet the harvest will flee away. And a day of grief and incurable pain. The prophet Isaiah is saying, because you've forgotten God, the harvest is going to flee away from you. The plants that you've planted, you'll never taste their fruit. The house that you've built, you're not going to live in much longer. The consequences of sin are, are described in this way. But here in Isaiah 65, it's you build a house and you live in it forever. You plant a vine and its fruit is unending and you get to taste from it. So in the new heavens, new earth, our sins will be no more. They will not be remembered. And then fourth, uh, at least for what I want to pull out of this text, fourth, our, our trauma will not be remembered. And I'm going here because maybe you ask the question, well, hold on, if the former things aren't remembered... Does that mean we just forget our earthly life? We don't remember what happened because some of us, we've been through some things. And to even remember them in heaven would bring us 
pain. So does that mean we just don't remember what happens here? And, and some people make that case. I don't think that's what Isaiah 65 is saying at all. But it does raise the question, well, how can the former things not be remembered and yet we go to heaven, a place where there's no mourning or crying? or t- How do we enter into heaven but not be shackled by the pain of our earthly life? And I think the way we're understanding trauma actually kind of helps answer that question. Here's just briefly a definition of what trauma is. Trauma is the lasting emotional response that results from living through a distressing event. Simple definition. A lasting response from a, a hard event. And so we experience something distressing. An untimely death, the suffering of a child, the consequences of our sin. And it's not just that we experience those things and then they never affect us again. No, those those traumas have a lasting impact on us and continue to affect the way we experience this present moment. So our memories determine, in many ways, how we experience the world. Our past shapes our presence. It's why the author William Faulkner wrote, I love this line, the past is never dead. It's not even past. Because our memories are with us. They haunt us. They guide us. Our past traumas exist with us in the present. And we're learning all kinds of things about that. And one of the best books that describes trauma's impact on us is a book called The Body Keeps the Score. Which explains how our past memories and experiences affect our present life. And this is what the book writes. We have learned that trauma is not just an event that took place sometime in the past. It is also the imprint left by the experience on mind, brain, and body. The imprint has ongoing consequences for how the human organism manages to survive in the present. Trauma results in a fundamental reorganization of the way mind and brain manage perceptions. It changes not only how we think and what we think about, but also our very capacity to think. So did you hear that? Trauma imprints on us and then affects the way we experience the present world. And so what that means is you and I, we can't just escape this world or this life and go to heaven and everything be okay because this world is imprinted on us. Trauma and, and pain. And so the only way you and I can experience full salvation, full healing, is for our memories not to be remembered. And I, th- I think that's what Isaiah 65 is saying. Not that we will forget our earthly life, but somehow our memories will no longer imprint on us the pain and trauma of this life. And I'll come back to that. How I think that will work. But for now, hear Isaiah's words long before anything about trauma was written. <laughs> Heaven is where the former things are not remembered. And so, uh, that's point one. So how are you waiting in the midst of your, your pain? How is your hope, how is your soul in the midst of a world full of the former things we would like to no longer remember? It's easy to give up hope, to stop waiting. 
But if you want to wait to hope in God well, then start there. The former things will not be. Remember, that's, that's where the text begins, verse 17. But secondly, uh, heaven is described as a place on earth. Not in the way that singer Belinda Carlisle meant. And I'm surprised more first service people got that than this. So that surprises me. That's an 80s pop song for those of you not familiar. And I really wanted to play it. But after like just talking about trauma in a really deep way, I thought playing an 80s pop song would just feel totally off the moment. But you should totally listen to it on the way home or, you know, Spotify it on your walk out of here. That'd be, that'd be fantastic. Heaven is a place on earth. Not like Belinda Carlisle. But Isaiah does depict heaven not as a feathery realm that we ascend to away from where we are, where we nap on clouds and pluck harps. Now listen to how Isaiah describes it. Verse 17. I will create new heavens and a new earth. In verse 19, then he describes the new heavens and new earth as Jerusalem. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. And this is exactly what we find in Revelation 21, later in the Bible, when we get a fuller picture of what is going on in Isaiah 65. So I'll speak those words over us again. Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first, time and for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And God was seated on the throne and said, I am making all things new. Or I am making everything new. So notice two things here. One, we are not going away to heaven. Heaven is coming down to us. The new Jerusalem descends to earth, to us. And second, God doesn't say from the throne, I'm making all new things. He says, I'm making all things new or everything new. He's remaking this world. Heaven is coming to earth. Heaven is a place on earth. And so what's not described is, is the earth is this worthless place that we can forget about and ascend to a cloud. But as heaven being remade the way God originally designed this world to be, so that it could inhabit his rule and reign on, on earth. And this matters in a lot of ways, but I want to name, I want to name two. The first is this, this earth is good and should be enjoyed. So, so many pictures of heaven we get are boring. That's the far side, and that's why Gary Larson made so much money, is depicting a boring heaven. Right, so here's one example of a, a cartoon where a guy is sitting on a cloud and says, I'd wish I'd brought a magazine. So throw up that cartoon on the, on the slides. And he's got a ton of, of cartoons like that. So heaven will not be boring. So what will we do there? Well, we're given two illustrations. A city and a farm. Heaven is the new Jerusalem. So what... What do you love to do in cities? Go to eat the best meals. Take in the best music. Watch incredible sporting events. The image of heaven here is not a cloud in the sky, but a city, a place of beauty and architecture, the arts and experiences of joy. And heaven is like a farm. No farmers said amen to that either service. I'm so surprised. I had one guy sort of say, I wish I would have. But no one, okay, that's, but heaven is described as a farm where we plant, grow, and enjoy the beauty of God's creation. 
So what, what are you going to do in heaven? Not exist in some feathery realm, but embrace and do what you loved to do here on earth. Eat the best meals. Hike the best mountains. Run with the wind. Laugh from your gut with your friends. Sail on Lake Michigan. Commune with your God. In many ways, that's what makes the next two days so great. It's being surrounded by people we love. Eating the best meals. Remembering the best of this world. That For the next couple of days, you're practicing for heaven. So go into Chicago. See a great show. Eat the best food with your family. Laugh from your gut in deep community. Because all of that points to what Isaiah 65 is saying. Practice for heaven. It's like earth without the former things. And then secondly, this beauty of earth is, is proof that you can wait on God. The beauty of earth is what helps you wait on God. Now, one of the hardest things we do as human beings is wait. And we're in a period where we must wait through darkness. And so a lot of people look at the evil in this world around us and conclude, no God. Can't believe in a God because look at all of the evil around us. So where did all of this evil come from? And that's a fair question. Um, but if you struggle to believe in, in God, or, or for those of us who believe in God, and yet the, the evil around us really wears us down, I, I think there's another question worth asking. Which is, where did, all, where did all this goodness come from? A sunset over the ocean. The transformation of a volcano into Mount Rainier with beautiful alpine meadows full of color all around. The granite peaks of the Rockies shooting up from the ground floor. Or one of my favorites, Wrigley Field on a Friday afternoon <laughs> at 1.20 p.m. And Sox fans, maybe just imagine your stadium. Let's be honest, that's nothing like this. It's, maybe don't. Um, but if, if you have no faith in God, no relationship with Jesus, where did all this goodness come from? Why is there so much joy? And in saying that, I'm not trying to evade the reality of evil. It's real, and it can make us want to stop waiting on God. I've felt the weight of death in, in my own life. But, but beauty is a, a moment to ask, Why? One of my favorite moments in the Shawshank Redemption is where the prisoner, Andy Dufresne, who's been wrongfully in, in prison, uh, gets himself into the intercom system room for the whole prison and then puts on a record of an opera for the whole prison to hear. Not surprisingly, most of the prison men were not opera fans. But suddenly their day is interrupted by two voices singing beautifully over them. And you just watch as everyone stops and looks at the loudspeakers, overwhelmed with beauty. And as the music plays, Morgan Freeman's character says, he says this, I tell you, those voices soared higher and farther than anybody in a gray place dares to dream. It was like some beautiful bird flapped into our drab little cage and made those walls dissolve away. 
And for the briefest of moments, every last man in Shawshank felt free. And we have those moments too, don't we? We're into our gray world of the former things. Beauty hits us. And we stop to look around. And my invitation to you is you have someone to thank for that. This world is not all evil. But it is made by a creator who longs to be your father and has more joy in store for you than you could ever dare dream. And beyond that, I would just ask, if your faith or your hopefulness is wavering or shrinking, don't you want this world? A world where the former things are not remembered, but instead we are set free like those prisoners in, in Shawshank to fully live into the beauty, this good world. You were meant for that world. We were meant for that world. Where the ox and lion eat together, where the wolf and lamb pose no threat to one another, where we hike mountains and enjoy baseball and, for some of us, hit the golf course. All of this beauty is designed to point us to a maker or a creator. Heaven is a place on earth. Look around you. There are signs of the beauty from our God. That's second. And then third and finally, where I want to end is... Ultimately, heaven is where God is. That wherever God is, there is no evil, only goodness in life and peace. And so again, Revelation 21 names heaven as the place where God dwells. And so uh, Revelation 21, verse 3, I hear a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them And be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the older order of things, the former things, have passed away. Heaven is wherever God is. And where God is, there is no death. There is no pain. There is no mourning. And maybe you hear that and you're still hung up on Isaiah 65 verse 20. Where in heaven... The old man who dies at 100 is thought a mere child. Are people dying in heaven? That doesn't sound good. Well, that's an important question, but listen to how theologian John Oswald describes why that's there in Isaiah. It's not because people die in heaven, but this is, this is why it's there. He writes, Suppose the author were talking about a coming existence that is absolutely unlike anything we know here. How would he describe it to us? Only in analogous terms that are familiar to us. And so think about the, the pile of metaphors Isaiah gives us to describe heaven. One hundred will be thought to be a mere child. No, never again will a child suffer. You build a home and you'll never have to move. You can live in it for as long as you please. You plant a vineyard and you eat continually of its fruit. You look out and the wolf and the lamb are lying down next to one another. You look out and the lion and the ox are sharing a meal together. And there's no harm or no destruction anywhere in sight. What Isaiah 65 is describing is a totally new order of existence. These are not moderate improvements upon our conditions, but a new world, a new place. And so Isaiah uses what we know 
to describe what could never be fully explained in human terms. And so, in verse 20, he takes us to the scene of a funeral where a man 100 years old has died. And he invites us to imagine everyone gathered around like he was just a child. <laughs> that's, that's inconceivable, and it's because that won't happen. <laughs> but it's a metaphor to point to the, the everlasting reality of the new heavens and new earth. But what describes heaven more than anything is that it, it is where God is. I will be my people, or I will dwell with my people. I will be their God. And that's what Christmas is about. That's the culmination of Advent, is the arrival of God among us. It's the heart of the Christmas story. Matthew 1, verse 21, quoting Isaiah. Matthew writes, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, through Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Heaven coming to earth. And Jesus' first sermons, the first words he preached when he began his ministry were repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus says in the beginning of his ministry, I'm here, so heaven is here. So get ready. <laughs> I've arrived. Heaven is breaking into the world because heaven is where God is. And our belief and invitation to you as a church is his presence is available to you today. Not the fullness of what it will be one day, but His presence is really here. His presence is what leads us to experience the forgiveness of sins. His presence is what gives us hope in the face of death. And His presence is what heals our wounds, our pains, and our traumas. So to go back to where I, I started, one thing we're learning about trauma healing is that the only way you experience trauma healing, or, or the primary way you experience trauma healing, is through the presence of another person. So this is how the book The Body Keeps the Score describes it. Being able to feel safe with other people is probably the single most important aspect of mental health. Safe connections are fundamental to meaningful and satisfying lives. If you have a safe connection to another person, they're saying, you can heal from any trauma. This is why Jesus came to earth. For, for him to offer you his presence. For him to be that person to, to heal you from your pains and wounds and traumas. And to let you know in your most painful memories, God was with you. And he wants to eternally, continually, and completely be with you. And it's why Isaiah has God speaking about what he will do in heaven like this. Verse 24. Before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. In the new heavens and new earth, God is so present to you, you won't even need to speak. He's already there. He already knows. And we have a down payment on, of that to us in the Holy Spirit, dwelling inside of us, the presence of Jesus among us, available to us to be that safe connection of healing. And what makes heaven heaven is the presence of God, and that presence is a safe connection to bring us healing in whatever we've experienced in this life. 
And I've tasted that. There was a season in my life where I was, I was served by a healing prayer ministry. Someone who prayed over me for a pretty long season of life intentionally. And sometimes the time of prayer we would, we would go on together would begin with, with a, the question, we just ask God, hey God, is there any, any direction you'd like to lead us this morning? There was one time we were praying where a very vivid moment came to mind uh, to me. A painful memory. A moment of trauma in my own life. It's a moment I hadn't thought about for a long time, so that it just popped into my memory, felt weird, uh, or of the Spirit. And so I'm just sitting there. Suddenly this very vivid memory is, is with me. And as we prayed through that, I began to realize how that, that, that moment in my life was shaping the way I was experiencing my current moment of life. And this moment of great pain was, was still determining in my mind a lot of how I was living in, in the world. And so we prayed together, and as we prayed together, I felt the Lord say very clearly to me and show me that in that moment of great trauma... He was with me that whole time in that memory. Not just as an idea like God, oh yeah, God's with us. Like he's in heaven and he knows about us and he's aware of us. No, he was with me. And that has totally changed how I remember that moment of my life. Because now next to me in that moment of trauma is the presence of Jesus. His healing power. His love and presence. And I'll, I'll say, and I can't speak this for you in your moments of trauma, but only my own. I can now say, I could go through anything in life. If I know Jesus is with me in it, I will be okay. Because he can make all things new. And he, he comes to earth to give you his personal presence. The Spirit, his life. And so knowing he was with me, knowing he is with me, has changed my experience of this world forever. And it's changed the way I think about pain and suffering. Because I know that one day the former things will, will no longer be called to mind because all of my story and history will, will, be, will have been reworked with his presence in it. Because his presence was in it, I just haven't been able to see all of it. Yeah, and that's the whole point of Christmas. And what we're waiting for is that Jesus entered into the world of the former things, things we hope to forget, to heal us from those things and be the safe person to lead us out of that pain. And so this morning I want to ask, have you met him? Have you received him? Have you, have you experienced that healing from him? Because his goodness is eternal, unlimited, and he's ready to offer it to you for eternity. And so we hope you... If you haven't, take that step today. Anyone with a yellow lanyard, I'll be in the hallway. Jesus' presence is a healing presence, and you should receive it as your salvation and him as your Lord. That's our invitation to you. But if you've already received that promise and presence of Jesus, then you listen, you gotta practice, you gotta celebrate that the next two days. Because this is Advent, where Jesus came looking for you in your wounds and trauma. That is the story of Christmas. Psychologist and Christian Kurt Thompson says, we are all looking for somebody looking for us. That is Christmas. That is Advent. Jesus came looking for us. He entered our world looking for you. He entered our world looking to heal you and save you. He entered our world to be a presence of safety to you, to guide you through the former things. It cost him his life. He died because he was looking for you. He was put in a tomb because he was looking for you. And he was raised to new life. Because he's still looking for you. And he will return. 
at his second advent because he wants to bring you home to his table because he is looking to bring heaven to us. Let us pray. Father, we now in a moment after we hear a song sung over us, we're going to come to the table. And Jesus said when he started this meal of communion to us that he's not going to eat this meal again until he eats it with us. This is a, this is a down payment promise meal. We come, we take the bread, we, we, we take the juice because his body was given for us, his blood was shed for us. And we, we with this meal announce what Jesus has done and what he will do. Christ has come and Christ will come again. And so now, Father, we open this space up because we believe Jesus is alive and we believe his spirit can do things that we can't do with our words. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you come. And do the ministry of Jesus in this place. We pray, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, day of peace that dimly shines. Through all our hopes and prayers and dreams, guide us to justice, truth, and love, delivered from our selfish schemes. May swords of hate fall from our our hearts from envy find release till by God's grace our warring world shall see Christ's promised reign of peace then shall the get to celebrate this morning not just the arrival, not just the birth, but the life, the death, the resurrection, and the fact that Jesus is coming again to restore all things to himself. We can't celebrate Christmas without Easter, and we cannot celebrate Easter without Christmas. And so we get to come to the table and worship by taking in the bread and the cup. I'm going to invite the communion leaders to, to come forward.
And in just a moment, I'm going to invite you in groups of five to seven to come forward. Um, and this, if this is, if, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you've given your life to Jesus, say, Jesus, I know that you came to this earth and you died for me. And you came to bring light into my darkness. And you came to give me the presence of Jesus through my darkness. This table is for you. And if you've not yet given the reins of your life to Christ, we invite you to do that. As Tim was talking earlier, we would love to talk with you. Um, but if this is you, if you've given your life to Christ, we invite you to come to the table now in groups of five to seven and take the cup, uh, the bread in the cup, and as your leader instructs, you can do that now.
Church, let's stand together and sing joy to the world. Joy to the world. Thank you for making Sunday morning a part of your Christmas Eve. Again, our Christmas Eve candlelight services, we hope to see you back at 3.30 and 5. A little bit more on heaven, but mostly singing and, uh, and dwelling on the arrival, the advent of our Lord Jesus. Um, and so with that, may uh, the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, go with you. You are dismissed.